0: Today, if you stroll up to 529 North Charles Street in Baltimore, you'll find an old brick building with elegant molding around its windows. And on the ground floor, there is a 7-Eleven. It's got the slurping machines, the little rotisserie hot dogs whirling around forever. But if you'd visited 130 years ago, it would have been a very different scene. Back then, it was a boarding house. And on one fateful April evening, it was the site of a seance. On April 25th, 1890, a group of people are gathered around a wooden board covered with letters and numbers. They're trying to talk to the dead, but it's no normal seance because these are business people. What they're after is some marketing
1: advice from the beyond. They ask the board what it wants to be called, and it spells out O-U-I-J-A. And when they ask, what does that mean? The board answers, good luck.
0: I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. And today, we're diving into the history of the Ouija board, how it went from a tool for communicating with the dead to a sleepover party game. A trip through the board's past with a pit stop at the Ouija 7-Eleven after this.
1: This year, we all have a choice to make,
0: but it's not just about this donkey or that elephant. Some of us want lobster, oysters, or a Michelin star chef's take on sea bass. Some want to watch whales. Others want to make way for ducklings. And some people just want to get the whole family on top of a big old green monster. We all have different agendas, but that's exactly why Boston is the one thing we can all agree on. Book your getaway
1: at meetboston.com. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget.
0: I remember the first time I played around with a Ouija board. It was in college. Uh, It was at this cafe where I worked after we had closed down, and it was just me and a few friends. It started out as sort of goofy fun, but it got increasingly sort of spooky and uncanny each time. The thing that happened is we contacted this quote-unquote demon, right? And it had a name. It was like Azuzas or something like that. And it came back. Like, it came back and then back again. It identified itself. It spelled its name each time one of my friends was so freaked out that she was like, we're never doing this again. I will never do this again. And even though my rational mind was kind of like, this is ridiculous, I could not deny the experience that she was having. She was really, it really made her uncomfortable. And since then, Ouija has always struck me as this fascinating kind of contradiction. It's been around for over a century. It's got this kind of spooky occult thing going on. But you can go buy it at Walmart next to the Jenga. Like, it is this strange set of stuff. I wanted to get the full story of the Ouija board's history, including why its official birthplace is inside a 7-Eleven in Baltimore. So I called up two Ouija experts, who I have been uh, sort of affectionately referring to as the Ouija boys.
1: Hi, my name's Bob Merch, and I'm the chairman of the board at the Talking Board Historical Society Hello, my name is
2: John Kozik, and I am the owner of the Salem Witchboard Museum. A
0: quick note on vocab: so Ouija board, Ouija board, both acceptable pronunciations. It's a brand name; it's become kind of synonymous with the product itself, like like Q-tips or Kleenex. But there is a more general name for this kind of object.
1: It's a talking board, and. What that is, is it can be anything, you know, a piece of paper, a piece of wood, where you write letters, numbers, words, and then creating some type of pointer that will move freely when your fingers touch it and will point out those uh, letters, numbers, words, uh, creating a conversation. So let's go back
0: in time. How did it first come into existence. What What is the background, like the far back background of the emergence of the Ouija board?
2: It kind of starts really 1848 with two sisters, the Fox sisters. Uh, they were just outside of Rochester, New York, and they had just made a claim that they could communicate with spirits who were knocking responses back to them. And really as their news traveled and they became very famous, other people started making the same claim. And besides just asking yes and no questions and waiting for a knock or two, people tried counting knocks to figure out what letter of the alphabet that they were on. And because those conversations took a very long time, they basically got sped up by introducing an alphabet board where they would like just point to the alphabet and wait for a knock.
0: And the Fox sisters, they really touched on a nerve because America at the time was hurtling into the Civil War. And the country was about to experience death on this massive, unprecedented
1: scale. Why would someone want to talk to the dead? Because they've lost someone, right? They they love someone who died. They never got to say goodbye. Um, You know, maybe they said something horrible to someone and they never got to say, I'm sorry. Coming off the Civil War, when there was such massive death in the country, everyone lost a father, a cousin, a nephew, an uncle, someone. And these people just disappeared. And talking boards, like uh, any spirit communication device, they offered answers to things that nothing else could.
0: There was a name for this new movement around communicating with the dead and certain ideas about the afterlife. It was called spiritualism. And it spread through the U.S. like wildfire. By 1886, a New York newspaper ran an article about these talking boards that spiritualists used. It was reprinted all around the country, and it even included instructions on how to make your own. Well, down in Maryland, in Baltimore, two men read this article with interest an enterprising businessman named Charles Kennard and a patent lawyer named Elijah Bond. And Charles and Elijah looked at the talking board and they saw dollar signs because they thought maybe they could make their own version of the talking board and sell it. But they needed some kind of
1: fresh angle. We don't have a story. We don't have a name. It's just another talking board. So they decide one night uh, in this old residential hotel to ask the Ouija board what it wants to be called.
0: The patent lawyer happened to have a sister-in-law, Helen Peters, who was a medium, someone who claimed
1: to be able to communicate with the spirit world. And with Helen Peters at the helm of the board playing with... um Charles Kennard, and Elijah Bond is there with his wife and child. They ask the board what it wants to be called.
0: O-U-I-J-A But naming the board was just the first step. Next, they needed to file a patent. And as Helen Peters' grandson later recounted,
1: Elijah Bond takes his uh, sister-in-law, Helen Peters, they head down to Washington, and they start the process. They get to the top of the ladder the chief of the patent office, and he walks in and says, okay, I don't know you, and you don't know me. If that contraption can spell my name, you've got your patent. With Helen Peters at the board, she asks what his name is, and letter by letter, it's spelled out his name. And a visibly shaken patent attorney says, fine, you have your patent, and he leaves as quick as he can.
0: So you've got all these talking boards, and then they get the patent for the Ouija board. How popular did it get? What was sort of the early uh, emergence of the Ouija board like?
1: It's an explosion. (laughs) Once they name it um, and they incorporate uh, on October 29th of 1890, the Christmas of 1890 is its first big boom, and it is a huge seller. And the brilliance of the Ouija board is that they don't tell you how how it works. It's considered a game. In fact, they would write in its uh, directions that it was a great mystery. Like, we don't try to explain or claim to know how or why the Ouija board works. Meaning, Charles Kennard and his friends, they understood that spiritualists are just a small population in the country. That's not going to make them a lot of money. And since the Ouija board really is the, the crossover between capitalism and spiritualism, they've got to get this in every you know household in America. How do they do that? Well, if they say it's spirits, that just tells everyone it's one way. They say, hey, uh, maybe you're just talking to yourself. Maybe any, it could be anything.
0: Yeah. I love the, the phrase. The Ouija board is the crossover between spiritualism and capitalism. One question I have for, for you, John, is, you know, over its long history, were these boards ever particularly controversial? I mean, it seems like they were ripe for kind of moral panic. Was there ever a real backlash against them?
2: It does have a negative side to it. Uh, 1886, there's a headline that actually calls it a devil board. So, you know, it does start to get that close association with the devil. And, you know, certainly suicides by 1900 uh, associated with the board. Murders, the first Ouija murder in 1933, other murders into the 30s. Um, So even though bad stuff is happening, what's funny is, you'll still see the Ouija board on the cover of, you know, uh, Saturday Evening Post or Popular Science back in 1920. Love songs written about the Ouija board in the 20s. Ouija, Ouija, tell me too. Tell me if my love baby loves me true. Me so it does have a negative side, but it just seems as though most people just didn't view it as negative. But I'd say once you get really to the 70s and the movie the exorcist where you know in that movie they that's how they explain how linda blair's character becomes possessed well after that movie certainly uh the satanic panic starts by then more horror movies now start really putting the ouija board in it after the exorcist where sales actually went up 15 percent because of that movie you know it becomes more of a dare game and a sleepover party game When we talk about the Ouija board, usually people tend to know bad stories, you know, horror movies. But my favorite author is a guy named uh, James Merrill. He was a writer and a poet. He was looking for inspiration and um, he made his own board. He wrote it all out, put punctuation on it and everything. And he used a teacup with the handle as a pointer. And he ended up writing a giant book of poetry using the board and it won a Pulitzer Prize. About a year ago, merch came to town and um, we went to go visit this guy named Peter. Peter was very good friends with James Merrill. Uh, we were there for about five hours. And uh, when we went to leave, Peter handed Merchant and I both a teacup. And he told us that James had used these teacups uh, to use the Ouija board. Really, the, the teacup that I have is my favorite item in the museum.
0: From the very beginning, there were skeptics and just curious people who wanted to understand how the Ouija board actually worked. And psychologists and neuroscientists think that what's happening is that the user is tapping into their own subconscious knowledge, that they're moving the planchette where they want it to go without necessarily even realizing it and finding patterns in whatever shows up. There's a name for this subconscious movement. It's called the idiomotor effect. Of course, there are still people who believe that it's a way to channel something from the outside. Wherever this message is coming from, inside, outside, I wanted to ask John and Merch what they thought about it.
2: I believe that, you know, you influence the board quite a bit, whether you know it or not. You know, if you believe you should make your own board, you put your energy into it, that it'll work better for you. Uh, That's something that I don't necessarily believe. But Other people might believe that. And personally, I don't think anyone is wrong. It just works
1: differently for everybody. What's come to me out of this whole thing, and I think, John, I've had many discussions on this, is that even though the Ouija board is meant to talk to the dead, it's really for the living. You know, dead people don't buy Ouija boards. We're obsessed with talking to the dead. And so we have unresolved issues.
0: Back in 2015, the Talking Board Society decided that there should be some kind of commemoration of the Ouija's founding. They got the city of Baltimore and the owner of the 7-Eleven on board and commissioned a big silver plaque to hang inside the store. It tells the story of how the Ouija got its name there over 100 years earlier. It says that night, an American icon was created. Uh, I, I mean, I have to ask,
1: have you two ever uh, Ouija'd together? That's a good I don't think we've ever been together. We've been in the same room when we're playing with other people, but I don't think we've ever played. We'll have to do that. Definitely. Who knows what'll
0: happen now? I feel like. (laughs) Boy. (laughs) Special thanks to Bob Merch and John Kozik for telling us the history of the Ouija board. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by
1: Amanda McGowan.
0: The production team includes
2: Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka,
1: Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder-Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire Seuss, Gabby Gladney, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore.
0: Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There's a link in our episode description. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time.
1: Witness Docs from Stitcher.